We're beginning a series this Easter Sunday on the 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension. 40 days of convincing proof. In fact, the Bible says that he, Jesus, verified himself by many convincing proofs. And today we're going to begin to look at that from the resurrection to the ascension. There are seven conversations Jesus has with different persons or groups. And the first one is the ladies at the tomb on resurrection day. And we're going to begin to look at the verification of Jesus Christ. The fact that he has risen from the grave. The account that we're looking at today is in Matthew chapter 28. I invite you to join me in your Bibles or your Westover app. You saw depicted in the drama just a moment ago. Let me go into scripture and read. It says, the angel said to the women... Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Here's that next phrase. He is risen. Just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. As it were today, I'm I'm going to invite everybody in here to be a part of the jury. You're the jury, and allow me for a moment to present some of the evidence for you to examine. At the end of this message... I'm going to ask the jury to make a decision, to render a verdict. Now concerning the information, I'm going to tell you it's indisputable that there is a man by the name of Jesus that lived. It's indisputable in history that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He lived in the Holy Land. He went to a city called Jerusalem and he was crucified outside the city gates of Jerusalem. That's testified by the Bible. Over 400 prophecies fulfilled by Jesus in the Old Testament in his life. Moreover, I share with you, do you know even the Islamic Quran mentions Jesus and speaks that there was a man, a prophet, they don't recognize his deity, but they recognize a man by the name of Jesus lived. By the way, Jesus is mentioned more frequently in the Quran than Mohammed. I find that a little interesting. Moreover, in Judaism, Judaism will verify there was a man here in the land, in the Holy Land. His name was Jesus. He was born, he lived, and he was crucified in the city of Jerusalem. Do you know that human history verifies the life of Christ? The the Encyclopedia Britannica has more to say about Jesus than it does Napoleon Bonaparte and Caesar. Sure enough, Human history verifies it. Do you know internationally our Gregorian calendar verifies, validates the existence of Jesus? All of time is hinged on one moment in one person. It's either B.C. before Christ or A.D. in the year of our Lord. All of human history, our counting, our calendars put Jesus as the focal point and the center. There is, there's indisputable evidence 
that there was a man by the name of Jesus that lived. But here is the pushback, and that is the resurrection. The Christian gospel, the message we believe and preached, is based upon one event, and that is the resurrection. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just a footnote of history. But if the resurrection took place, then his claims and this gospel message stands for all the time for all people. And I believe there is veracity, there is evidence, there is strength in the message of the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus. For just a few moments, just a few moments, let's look at some of the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Let's examine some of the forensic evidence. Those who pushed back on the resurrection of Jesus said, well, you know, when they took him from the cross, he really didn't die. They put him in the tomb and he was resuscitated later on and he just walked out. Can I tell you, the Romans, the Romans were experts on execution. Not just execution, they would make, they would make death an excruciating experience. Jesus was nailed on the cross for six hours after having been beaten with a Roman scourging that was a, a whip with 39 lashes, 39 strings on it, and would lash the back. One historian said when a human being got through at the whipping post by a Roman soldier, there were 586 gaping wounds in the body. And then on the cross, they testified the Roman soldiers, he's dead. And then placed him in a tomb. Now some say, oh, the resurrection. What happened was that while the Roman soldiers were sleeping, some of the disciples or believers came in and snatched the body of Jesus away. Let me push back on that. Do you know a Roman soldier who stood guard, and there were four at the tomb of Jesus? If they went to sleep during their, their guard duty, or walked away from their guard duty, they themselves faced death. A Roman soldier abandoning his post or going to sleep at his post would himself be beaten with clubs by other Roman soldiers to the point he would finally collapse and then they would set his clothes on fire. The likelihood of a Roman soldier knowing he would face that punishment to fall asleep or abandon his post and somehow disciples or somebody snatched the body away during that time is absolutely unbelievable. Moreover, we see there's trace evidence. What is our trace evidence? A stone that was rolled away. And then also it's recorded in two gospels. Two gospels say that when they went into the tomb, they found the burial cloth of Jesus. Not just did they find it, the gospels Give this information. It was folded. Why? Why does the Bible say the cloth was folded and placed at the head where Jesus had laid? Because Mary, the mother of Jesus, would walk in and say, that's my boy. I taught him to fold his bedclothes up before he walked away. I taught that boy. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, would be able to fare. I know it was somebody that snatched his body. That's, that's my boy that's been here. That's exactly how I taught him to fold his clothes. Moreover, there's circumstantial evidence. We have an empty tomb. We have the corroboration of many prophecies 
Do you know there are numerous records outside of the Bible? The Bible says that Jesus was raised from the dead. There are many records outside of the Bible that verify that Jesus was alive, he was crucified, and that the message of the crucifixion was preached and believed and witnessed by many people in that time. One historian, his name is Flavius Josephus. He was not sympathetic to the Jews and not sympathetic to the Christian faith. Yet he will record in his writings that it is believed and witnessed, eyewitness of that time. People saw the resurrected Lord. That's evidence, circumstantial evidence outside of Scripture. We have direct evidence. We have 500 people that saw Jesus after he was resurrected. You know what the theory, the excuse, the, the, the dismissal is that? Here's what they say. Well, th- probably they had a hallucination. 500 people having the same hallucination, seeing the same thing. Can I tell you, sometimes it's just easier to believe the Bible than it is to believe some of the excuses people make to dismiss the Bible. And then there is the intrinsic evidence. Intrinsic evidence, what I'm talking about. For example, uh, uh, scientists can go out and say, well, we can see that there, there was once a river here. Why? Because of erosion. Erosion means that sometime in the past there was a great flood or, or there, was a, there was water that was flowing here. By the evidence that's left, they can point back and say there was another event that had to have happened. Well, the intrinsic evidence is this. There were 11 disciples that went to 500 that witnessed Jesus in his resurrected state. But let's fast forward 2,000 years later. 2,000 years after that event. On planet Earth today, there are 2.5 billion people that say Jesus is their Savior and their Lord. They believe Jesus rose from the grave. They say that an experience with Jesus has changed their life. Many of them were hostile to the gospel and had a conversion experience and changed their mind, but are witnesses of the living power of Jesus in their life today. We can say if 2.5 billion people are saying, I believe Jesus is alive because he's done something in my life, we can trace back to there was an event in time and sure enough verifies the veracity of the message of Christ. Do you know that there are, uh, there are 36,000 36, McDonald's in the world today? Where would you go? Town, a little town, large town. 36,000 mcdonald's in the world today but do you know there are three hundred and sixty-seven thousand assemblies of god churches in the world today oh we're bigger than mcdonald's and we trace it back to an empty tomb that ought to give you a happy meal today shouldn't it amen that ought to make you rejoice something happened and the exponential growth and the fact that Some 2.5 billion people testify Jesus has changed their life is evidence that something happened. And I think it says two things to us today that I want to drop in your heart very quickly. And then I'm going to call for the jury to render a verdict today. The first thing I want to share with you is Jesus is all about relationship, not religion. Jesus is all about relationship and not religion. 
It's not just an explanation. It's not a book. It's not a textbook. If it was just information, God could just create a supernatural theory and just you could ask a question and get an answer for it. No, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's about relationship, not religion. Have you ever talked to somebody that doesn't believe in Christ, doesn't believe the gospel? Maybe they, they say they're a, an atheist, they're a non-believer. Just say, I, I don't even believe in God. Have you ever known some of those people know, know more about the Bible than you know? You, you know what I'm talking about? You don't, have you ever talked to somebody? They don't believe in God, but they'll quote Scripture to you, and sometimes they know more about the Bible than you might know. But have you ever noticed they never describe God the way you know him. Are you with me? I mean, they will say, well, there are these uh, forces and there is this and it's mysticism and we have this evidence and they'll show you a chart of monkeys that went to this and that and they'll begin to give all of their explanation and they will have all this philosophical argument, but it's never relationship. And you know, if you take relationship out of the gospel, it's missing something. You take relationship out of it, and our message goes flat for you. See, Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. He came to establish relationship with God. Now, if I describe anything to you in a philosophical and a scientific way, it will sound different to you. Example. Example. Let me explain a tamale to you. Okay? A tamale. Take body parts of a dead swine, dismember the sinew from the bone, boil it. Then take a concoction that is cholesterol-based, <laughs> stir it together, spread it over an inedible substance, then take some of the sinew of the swine, put in the middle, roll it up, steam it, so that you don't get salmonella. When you explain it that way, I don't want to eat one of those. How about you? But if you say a tamale, can I tell you, bring a half dozen because I, 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 I want most of them. If you explain something minus relationship, it doesn't sound appealing. If, if you explain it as information and philosophical argument, it's missing something. For you see, Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. He came to have relationship with humanity. The gospel is about relationship. You take, you take Jesus and put him back in the tomb. Our message is empty and flat. Can I tell you, Jesus, he put a face on God for us. And I want you to know that face is a smile. <laughs> that face is a smile. There's five things to have relationship. Yes, there's five things. You have to have trust. You have to have communication, honesty, connection, and love. Oh, I, I won't take time to unpack all of them. Let me just connect on one of them for a moment. Love. That's probably the one that we're most uh, familiar with. In order for there to be relationship, there has to be love. And I'm here to tell you. God cares. If there's one misconception and false belief, the empty tomb dispels, and that is this. God doesn't care. God doesn't care. Some people believe that. 
Oh, and you talk to them and say, well, if God cares, how come he allows this? If God cares, how come he allowed that? And they have a complete misunderstanding. God didn't allow this and God didn't allow that. Humanity's sin created that. It's like saying to a parent, why is it that you allowed your sin, son to commit a crime and go to prison? And the parents said, I didn't allow it. I didn't want it. But they had their own choice and they did it. So it is with the injustice, the evil, the sin, the, the, the mistakes of humanity. God didn't cause it and he didn't allow it. His heart breaks when mankind turns away from him. But God could not stand in the corner and God could not stand in the dark. God wanted a relationship with humanity because God loves. And you see, God's love changes the rules of everything. It changes. Christianity is the only religion in the world where, where God loves. Uh, every other religion, it's, it's, it's enlightenment. It's, you, you have to earn. It's appeasement. You have to be nice and you stack up enough nice points and you, you stack up enough merits that finally you appease the anger of God or the wrath of God. That's not the gospel. The message we preach, the empty tomb says to us that God loves, that God has compassion and Jesus changes the rules of everything. Have you ever wanted to change the rules of something? Oh, yes, you did when that... When that police officer pulled you over, you wanted to change the speed limit right then and there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I played softball a couple times. I'm no good at it. I'm clumsy. But I wish when I play, when I'm up to bat, I wish we had golf rules. I'd like to change the rules. You don't count the swings until I hit something. That's the way it is in golf. In golf, you don't count any swings that you don't hit the ball. Can I, I wish I could change the rules, but I can't. But Jesus came in, and Jesus changed all the rules. Jesus said you don't have to earn. You don't have to have appeasement. For you see, Jesus, Jesus bore the price. He bore the burden to create relationship with you and I. I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about a warm place in your heart. I'm not talking about mysticism. I'm saying you can know Jesus in a personal way. Which brings me to my second point. And that is this, Jesus brings change. Yes, Jesus brings change. I'm evident of that. Jesus brings change. Jesus changes people. Yes. No matter what your past is. No matter what mistakes you've made. No matter what the, the, the history is. What you've done. Other people remember what you do. That's Jesus. He, he comes in. He, he brings change. Yes. You ever watch these television commercials on your ancestry? People want to go back and find out where they're from and their ancestry. Does any of you like to forget some of your ancestry? Yeah. Would you like to forget some of your ancestry? Yes. Jesus he brings change. That's what God's in the business of doing. On one Easter weekend, Easter Sunday, in kids' ministry, they were teaching the kids, Jesus, he came out of the tomb. He resurrected from the dead. He brings life. He changes hearts. And they explained the story of the resurrection to the kids. So the 
the teacher was going to ask the kids, what do, you, what, what, what do you think happened when Jesus comes out of the tomb? Just wanting the kids to grasp the message. One little girl, she raised her hand. She got two holidays mixed up. She says, if he comes out, but if he sees his shadow, <laughs> he goes back in for six weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'll tell you what. It doesn't matter what kind of junk we have, what kind of mess we made of life. He's not backing away from you. The resurrection of Jesus says God changes people. In fact, I want to tell you, Easter is New Year's Day for the soul. Easter means New Year's Day for the soul. It's a fresh start. It's a new beginning. Yes, on New Year's Day, guess what we do? We want to push a reset button. We want, to, we want to have New Year's resolutions and start all over again. We'll pay off the credit card. I'm going to, I'm going to no longer do this. Many of us say we're going to lose weight. Yeah, I did that last year. Last year I said, I'm going to, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. And then in August, I had 20 pounds to go. Yeah, I'm really, really, I had 20 pounds ago. And I said, I better get on this thing, man. I said, I, I'm in August. And I, I haven't even m- made an effort on it. Can I tell you? Easter weekend, Easter Sunday is New Year's Day for the soul. And there are many of us, we live what I'm going to call an if-only life. If only. If only I had made better choices back then. If only I had walked away from that bad relationship earlier. If only I hadn't made that choice. If only I had gone to school and got my degree. If only I, I, I had a scholarship and I'd have been able to go. If, if only this hadn't happened. If only that, that terrible event in our marriage, that first marriage hadn't happened, we'd still be married. If only... And many of us, we live this if-only life. Do you know that was the ladies going to the tomb that day? They're walking to the tomb, and no doubt you could hear the conversation. If only, if, if, if only, if only Jesus had left Jerusalem, he wouldn't have been arrested. He'd be alive today. Maybe one of the ladies said, if only Judas hadn't betrayed him. And then maybe one of the other ladies said, if, if only the disciples had stood there, Jesus wouldn't have been alone. He would have at least had his followers there to support him in that moment. If only, if only Caiaphas was not so hard-hearted and brought false charges against Je- Jesus. If only we were not under Rome. There would have been no Pilate to say crucify him. If only, and they were talking, if only. But God wants to take us from our if only to what if. It's actually found in verse number 8. It's a what if moment. They, they went to the tomb saying, if only. But it says in verse number 8, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Our phrase for that is mixed emotion. Afraid yet filled with joy. Why? Because Jesus has risen. They were afraid, well, no, but, but what if? What if it's true? What if what the angel said is true? What if Jesus is alive? What if our Savior is alive? 
And then finally he showed up. He showed up and he said to them, greetings. Oh, in the English Bible, that's not enough. The word is pregnant with life. It has the idea of goodwill, blessing, a, a blessing on the future. It, it means it means God's best now and takes you into the future. The word greeting seems so casual and seems so flippant when you read it in the English. It would be God's best, goodwill, have a great day. It's, it's everything. It's every compliment you could put together. It's a, it's a word that is so rich and so meaningful. And Jesus announces to them when they're moving from only if to what if, Jesus shows up. And I want you to know he always shows up in your if moment. Yeah. There are, there are 1,784 ifs in the Bible. Most ifs are conditional. If you would do, this would happen. And I'm here to say in your worst moment, you're only one word, two letters away from God's best if. And you can move from if only, what if, what if? So I put it before you. I put it before you. Convincing proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. Now I know in a secular court of law, the jury, you have to come to a point of, of without a reasonable doubt. You're the jury. I'm going to call for a decision, a verdict. But let me tell you, before you make up your mind about Jesus, Jesus will take you with or without your reasonable doubt. Yes. He'll take you with your insecurity. Jesus will work in your life with skepticism. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to have it all figured out. You may not even be to the point that you're beyond all reason. There may be some stuff you're still not sure about. Jesus will take you just as you are right now. And I call for a verdict in every heart. He wants to be Lord. It's a personal relationship. Has nothing to do with this church. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the assemblies of God. It has everything to do with the heart of God. And God's extending His heart to you. And if you're ready to receive Christ as your Savior, you can on. What a great day. Resurrection Day. Easter Sunday. You can give your heart to the Lord. When you give your heart to the Lord, it, the gospel record, the gospel message is so simple, any of us can grasp it. A... You have to acknowledge that Jesus is God's one and only Son. B. Believe that Jesus believe in Him. C. Confess your need of Him and ask Christ into your heart. It's as clear as A, B, C. So across this audience in the balcony, in the main floor, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads right now and close your eyes. Right where you're seated, now you have a personal and private moment with God. 
Are you ready to receive Christ as your Savior? Are you ready to take that step of faith, that heart change? It can happen right where you're seated right now. God's not looking at your past. God's not saying get better, clean up, understand it more, become worthy, be, to figure it out. God's saying, no, start right now. This is New Year's Day for your soul. You can begin with God. And if you're ready to receive Christ and a, and a prayer I'm going to lead you in, I'm going to invite you on the count of three to raise your hand, your hand going up and saying, I need God. So if that's you, here it is. It's that clear and that simple. If you want God, God wants you. One, two, count of three. Three, hands up. Yes, ma'am, God bless you. In the balcony, yes. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am, yes. Yes. Yes, sir, thank you. God bless you in the back over there. Yes, yes, sir. You see, God sees every hand. And he knows what your hand represents. He knows what it means to, yes, all the way to the back in the balcony. God bless you. God sees your hand. But more importantly, he sees your heart. God bless you. Yes, sir. Somebody else. Yes, yes, buddy. Thank you. Somebody else. Yes. Yes, ma'am, in the back. Bless you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now, right where you're at. What does it require? I tell you, if religion was creating it, we'd make it hard. It'd take you a couple years to get there. But Jesus made it relationship. If you can just say, I need God, acknowledge A. I believe that Jesus Christ is God's one and only Son. B and C, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. God can work in your life. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can, you can repeat my words or you can say words similar. It's all about your heart. Allow me to lead you. Father, in this room right now, there are many people on this Easter Sunday saying, Jesus, I believe in you. The fact that they're here in the house of God is evidence of that, of their belief. Their hand going up is a symbol of belief. And there's a conversation that I'm not a part of, but they acknowledge their need of God. For some, it's aimlessness, and some, it's hurt and brokenness, and others, it's success has just not been enough. They know there's more to life than that. There's a soul purpose for them. And they've discovered that. But now, across this auditorium, people are saying, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come into my heart. While I may not fully understand it, I'm going to invite you to be a part and be the center of my life. To change me. To make me different. To forgive me of my sin and my inhibition and my insensitivity and my neglect. God, forgive us of that. Receive us into your kingdom. Receive us into your family. And all across this auditorium right now, people are praying that prayer. They're personalizing it. 
And it's that personal invitation for Christ to come in that God accepts. And right now, Father, many people are being born into the kingdom of God. This is their New Year's Day because Jesus is changing them. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Two things very quickly. If you've, if you've asked the Lord into your life, I'm going to invite you. This Wednesday, we'll be baptizing in water. Be here at about 645 and bring a change of clothes, and we're going to baptize in water. It's a step of obedience to the Lord. Now, the water doesn't save us. The water doesn't save us. But the water expresses from our heart our devotion to Christ, and it's a step of obedience. Moreover, if you prayed that prayer, on our text-to-give number, if you would text two words, we've just rolled this out, text two words, new life. On our text-to-give number, text two words, new life. It will take you to a point that you can communicate with us because we'd like to communicate with you. And I promise you, we're not going to bombard you We're not going to bother you. What we want to do is we want to connect with you. We want to to encourage your faith. We want to make sure that your heart decision is encouraged. And we want to see God take you to a making new life. That's our sole desire. So text the new life, two words, on our text to give. And as you lead to do today, if you raise your hand and you receive Christ as your Savior, in the balcony and here along the front and the back wall, we have materials we want to give you. Just receive it. Just take it from us. It's a Bible. It's a New Testament. With the New Testament, everything about the plan of salvation is explained. We want you to take that as a gift from us to you. And again, for everyone, thank you for being with us on Resurrection Sunday. I pray God's blessings upon you as you go in the love of the Lord. You're dismissed. God bless you.